0: This morning's reading is taken from two parts of the book of Acts. First, Acts chapter 6, verses 8, to Acts chapter 7, verse 2a. And that is on page 1471 of the Bible, but it might be difficult to follow. Uh, Then Acts chapter 7 verses 51 to Acts chapter 8, verse 1a. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, "'This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, "'for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place,' And change the customs Moses handled, handed down to us. <clears throat> All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham. We continue at Acts seven fifty one, reading to Acts eight one A. You stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Helen, and thank you, Eddie, for moving the furniture. How do we preach the good news of Jesus Christ and tell it to people who deny God and deny that Jesus is God and take offense even at the mention of his name. That is the question that faced Stephen as he stood before the Sanhedrin. And it's a question that faces us, that we confront when we talk to our friends, our neighbors, our family relatives who have set their, turned their backs on the Christian faith. And before we explore that intriguing topic, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask you once again to open our ears so that we may hear and our hearts so that we may receive anything that you want to bring to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, before the very tribunal that had engineered the crucifixion of Jesus and had more recently sent. Uh, Peter and John, um, to be flogged and put in prison. And now Stephen was about to become the first Christian martyr, and the high priest asked him, um, are these charges true? And um, <clears throat> Stephen, instead of defending himself, which he knew would be of no use, decided to use his day in court to give them, to recite a history of the Jewish nation. Stephen's speech takes up most of the uh, Acts chapter 7. It's quite long, so we didn't read it this morning, but I do urge you to, to read it at home because it, it, it does some amazing things. First of all, it, 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 he looks at the history of Judaism and sees how throughout history a God has pointed at Jesus, pointed towards Jesus. And yet how, in spite of that, all the messengers that God sent them uh, were persecuted or killed, culminating with this very Sanhedrin, these very rulers uh, killing Jesus, killing the one, the Son of God. And the text tells us that Stephen was a man full of grace and power, and he worked great wonders among the people, And he tells us that he spoke with wisdom that the Spirit gave him and that his face shone like an angel. His face shone with the light of Christ. So why did the Sanhedrin not get it? Why didn't they just realize uh, that what was happening, what Stephen was saying? And the answer is that really, it's not that they didn't understand their history. They knew it back to front. But they understood they misunderstood and missed the significance of that history. They didn't get it because they were blind. Rereading uh, that text, I thought of those many people in our lives, people maybe in your life, in my life, that we've prayed for for years and often spoken about, about Jesus, who just don't see in him what we see in him. And I, I was really worried about this and, and I shared it with friends and I and then one day I was frustrated by it and one day God just led me to these that wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 which says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the, the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the, the image of God. And suddenly, it was, became clear to me that the God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they're unable to see; they can't see Jesus, or they can't see God in Jesus. And at that point, my attitude changed from one of frustration and 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 uh, to to one of compassion and love for them and, and understanding. I'd like us to spend a few minutes just looking at those wonderful three verses. of of It's 2 Corinthians 4 and it's verses 4, 5, and 6. Now in these, God gives us some insight into the minds of believers. He gives us an insight into the mind of unbelievers and he tells us what God can do about it, what God does about it, and the part that we can play In the process. So let's read those verses together. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let the light shine out of the dark. The God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. Now, we all know that Paul's text can be a little bit dense sometimes. And so, in order to, for me to better understand it, and maybe for you too, I've color coded these verses. Um, so that you see that in yellow, the verse in yellow, the first verse, it talks about Satan blinding the minds of unbelievers. The second one in red tells us that we are the, his, the servants of, of Jesus and that uh, we help in the process of, of, of shining that light into the hearts of unbelievers. And verse, uh, sorry, that's, that's the middle, yes, the, the, sorry, the last verse the one in red is about God shining his light into uh, the hearts of unbelievers. And the middle verse, of course, is what I've just said, the green one. Anyhow, let's start. Let's take them a little bit out of order and make it easy to understand. Let's start with the, the, the verse highlighted in red and to get a picture of what a Christian believer is and to get a, a picture of the mind of a Christian believer,s And <clears throat> what, it, what becoming a Christian is... Well, Paul defines uh, a Christian believer as someone who has seen the glory of God in Jesus. And then Paul's definition of an unbeliever is someone who has not yet seen the glory of God in Jesus. Now, coming to Jesus, coming, becoming a Christian, involves a miracle of God's grace in which he shines the light of Christ into your hearts, into our hearts, and he makes you a new person. As the Bible puts it, um, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Now, creating is something that only God can do. Uh, You and I, when we remodel our houses or flats, Uh, We can move the odd wall, we can move windows, create new doors, whatever, but we can't create something new. And so the Bible does not say that if anyone is in Christ, he is remodeled. And it doesn't say uh, that the new is better and the old is worse. It says when you're in Christ, you're you're just, you're a new human being. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. And the new has come. Also, you realize, perhaps at your deepest level, uh, what <laughs> the American evangelist Chuck Swindoll calls, you know in your Noah, inside, we all have a Noah, and we know in our Noah that everything that Jesus said about himself is true, and that he is not only Lord, but that he is your Lord. He is my personal Lord. And of course, the way uh, so, God, once he's shone his light into you, you again, you say, well, why doesn't he, don't other people see in him what I see in him? Why, why is it not that, that, that they can't see him? And of course, we know that the answer, the, the, the text tells us that, that Satan has shone, uh, has darkened their lights, uh, darkened their minds, and, and made them blind to it. And I, I, So I said, well, to myself, if we're involved in this, then every time we confront an unbeliever, an unbelieving friend, colleague, relative, we are actually in in a spiritual battle because God says not just flesh human intelligence we're fighting or coming up against, but the enemy action. And so, because it says here that your struggle is not against flesh and blood it is not against the rulers it is but it is against the rulers and the, the against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that's what we're up against and we need to be equipped for battle that's what the bible tells us we need to put on the armor of god and in the same chapter i do suggest you read ephesians 6 again or reread it that, uh, you know, Paul says, we've got to equip ourselves to battle with the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of, of, of peace and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. Now, before speaking to your next unbelieving friend or relative, I do urge you to just have another look at Ephesians 6. But now I want to to tell you about what I've discovered, what I have out of personal experience about three ways that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. And I'd like, uh, and in order to remember them easily for myself to tell them to you, I've borrowed three terms that are very familiar with us, that we've become very familiar with over the last few years. And these terms are immunization, fake news, and leveling up. Now, immunization is my shorthand for the fact that many people that we meet have had some religion in their early life that has somehow immunized them against the gospel later on. Uh, The way that vaccinations work, most vaccinations work, is by inserting a little bit of the illness into your body so that you don't get it later on. And the gospel is highly contagious. If you get it, if you catch it, um, it'll change your life forever. It's life changing. It'll change the way that you think and the way that you talk, it'll change the way that you use your resources, your time, your money, everything. And so so as I if, if you like me grew up in a Christian country, in a so called Christian country. Then we, you will have had some exposure to church, and you will have some and you will have heard the story of Jesus' birth and death and resurrection many times, and you will have heard about the forgiveness of sins, but somehow it no longer makes an impression on you. You, you know it all, but it, it just doesn't, you don't get it. And so even when you celebrate his birthday and uh, his crucifixion, and you mark that. And his 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 resurrection, somehow the truth and the meaning of all that gets buried under tinsel, uh, under hot cross buns and Easter eggs. So, I, I, I want to to look at. Uh, the, I want you to see that we are dealing in a world where many people who think they know it, but we have to somehow speak into their lives, uh, with the words of the gospel even though they don't get it. Now, fake news means that a lie is dressed up as a truth, and we face it in many ways. Stephen was condemned by f- fake fake news, as Jesus was. And um, even if you don't fall for the lie, you look around, and so many people believe it, that you think to yourself, well, there must be at least a grain of truth to it. And so that complicates things because we live in a world, you know, we live in, have you ever thought of this? That we live in a world that seems to value doubt more than it values truth. Um, this was really brought home to me not long ago when uh, we, we uh, I thought of the, of, of, of the space landings. You know, we, in 2019 we celebrated 50 years of man walking on the moon. And there were all kinds of programs and documentaries and wonderful things about it and pictures of of, of Neil Armstrong stepping onto the moon. And I was sitting in the car on the very anniversary, listening to uh, a broadcaster, a debate, an argument between a NASA engineer who was actually involved in the space landings and a guy who argued that the whole thing was a fake. And he was very angry. He said, look, the whole thing was faked in studios, uh, they, even the rocks that these astronauts brought back had been mined in Antarctica and he was going on and on about this and the guy and the guy said to him well look, look over, about 200,000 people were involved directly in getting a man onto the moon. Doesn't it surprise you that in 50 years not one of them has broken ranks and actually exposed the fake? And the guy, the other guy said well, he said they, they will, they will just wait and I thought to myself it's crazy and I got home and I I looked at Google uh, Space and found a, a Gallup poll that showed that 11, uh, well, it showed first of all that 6% of all Americans disbelieve, don't believe that the moon landing actually happened, and a further 5% have, uh, have doubts about it. It may have happened, it may not have happened. And here is one of the best documented, most researched episodes of, of modern history. And a, a staggering 11% of, of the 339 million people that live in America actually either disbelieve it or have some doubt about it. Why is that? <clears throat> so that's fake news. And we live, and again, when, with, with, um, with a pandemic and also with global warming, we are up against these very, very fake news items, things that really sow doubt in, in, in our minds. And, uh, you know, it, as I thought about this, I said, well, you know, Satan sows, not only, he's not, Jesus called him the father of lies. Well, Satan is not only the father of lies, he's also the father of doubt. His, in his first appearance in the, in the Bible, he sows doubt in the mind of Eve. He says, did God really say you mustn't eat any of the fruits of any of the trees in the garden? And today, he whispers into the ears of believers, did Jesus really say, I am the way, and I am the truth, the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? Or did he actually mean, I am a way, and a, a, I am a way, and, and I am a truth, and, uh, you know, and, and there are lots of ways to the Father. Surely that's what Satan would tell you, it might have meant. And so, we we are in this. This we talk, we preach our, the word of God, and we preach the truth of the gospel in an environment of doubt, and that's that makes it quite hard. And we do need God's help. We need to be equipped spiritually, equipped for this. And that brings me to leveling up. Now, leveling up. Means basically that I'm borrowing our prime minister's favourite catchphrase, and it reminds us that there are many of those who t- identify as Christians, who actually believe in uh, that that Christianity can be levelled up with other re- world religions, and Jesus can be levelled up with other um, great figures, religious figures of the other religions, and. I have had to learn for myself. I was there at one point. That's what I believed at one point. That we, all religions are basically the same. But then I re- realized I got into my relationship with the scriptures, my relationship with Jesus, that they don't, that they don't give us that luxury. The Bible does not give us, the Christian faith does not give us the luxury of believing that, that, that Christianity is one religion among many and that Jesus is one great prophet among others. And maybe you, like me in the past, are questioning this. Maybe this is going on in your mind. And I do urge you to be happy and to ask God to shine his light into your heart so that you may see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. And you'll know that, the best, that your best life is still ahead of you. And that brings me to that final section that was in green before, that we say what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We want people to come to church. We want people, we need people to come to church, don't we? And we welcome them. But there's a, a constant temptation in us to think, well, since they don't get the gospel, they don't get the resurrection, they don't get the forgiveness of sins. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk about home, about family, about service, about all the nice things we do for people. And as a result, they, we preach about these things, but we sometimes the temptation is that we can ignore the gospel we don't do it at St. John's we, we're very Christ-centered and, and, and cross-focused but in our conversations we can do it I'm sometimes startled that Christians can talk to each other and talk to outsiders and hardly mention Jesus they'll talk about God they'll talk about faith they'll talk about all sorts of things but the name of Jesus that doesn't occur and that, that kind of worries me that that can happen so we we are called to preach the gospel. It says that we want to preach Jesus, but we want to serve. Him. We want to do it as servants. It says we, we talk to unbelievers who don't get it, and this this is the great paradox. Now, here is the great paradox of the Christian faith and of evangelism: that if we only talk to unbelievers about what they get, they won't get it it is only when we talk to unbelievers about what they don't get that they will get it. It's a paradox. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but that's why I've written it down, so they will know it. We share the gospel uh, faithfully, Jesus-centered, resurrection, faith, new life in Jesus Christ. And we do it with, with, with focusing on Jesus, but we don't share just our ideas. The temptation, again, is to say, this is what I think about it and that. We share what Jesus wants us to share, which is his life. And we do it with humility, and we do it with respect, and we do it, first and foremost, listening first to what is on their minds and what is in their hearts, and asking the Holy Spirit to give us the words that they need to hear. And then trust that God... Our Father will shine the light of Christ into their hearts so that they will see his light in Jesus. You know, the disciples, uh, the early disciples, Paul and the rest, they preached the gospel to people who had never heard the name of Jesus, never knew who he was, and had no idea what he was talking about, what they were talking about. But somehow Jesus shone his light into their lives and they came in droves and joined the early church. We are disciples of Jesus, just like Stephen was a servant. We are servants. And we never approach others who don't believe by saying, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. Our approach always is, we're all wrong. And there's only one who is right. There's only one who is right. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who can transform our lives. He's the only one who can do it. And that's our attitude. Spiritual rebirth involves a twofold process. It involves the word of God, us sharing it, reading it, and, in, in, and, and that word of God may be understood, may not at times, but then the second part of the process is that God shines his light into the hearts of unbelievers, into our hearts as well, you know, so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And if you're in a place today where you just wonder about all these things, you don't know where you are really, but uh, you would like more of God, you know you need more of God in, lo- in your life, as I do, as we all do, then I urge you to just pray today that God may shine his light into your hearts. And if you feel that, that uh, you know, the very fact that you can say to yourself, I think I may be one of these universalist, general sort of Christians, Well, that means that God has already begun to shine his light into your hearts, and you can be happy about that. The best, as I said, is still ahead of you. And uh, if you feel like that, it's worth just coming to Eddie or to me, to one of us, and ask us to pray with you before you leave church today. Anyhow, I've talked about spiritual rebirth. I would like to just leave you with a very wonderful and encouraging verse uh, from the words of Jesus, from John chapter 14. And he says, If you know me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he, he lives in you, and he will be in you, and will be in you. Amen.